Do have a seat. How was your Easter? Can you believe it's over again for another year? How was your Easter? Did you have a good time? I know some of you were away enjoying yourself skiing down mountains and exciting things like that. Other of us were here in church celebrating. Some of us were visiting family, I guess, or enjoying the absolutely beautiful sunshine we had. I find Easter an incredible time, really. It's a time of highs and lows. We go from Monday, Thursday, where we gather together with the other churches in our area and think about Jesus' last meal together. We go into Good Friday, remembering his death. For me, as you will know, it was a silent Good Friday because I'd lost my voice. But actually, coming to sing uh, in church, whilst I didn't have a voice, was really important just to be here and to quietly reflect and think. And then, of course, we had Easter Sunday, baptisms, orchestras, rejoicing, singing great songs of resurrection. I'm so grateful that we have, uh, we go through Good Friday knowing what is coming. I can't even imagine what it was like for those first disciples having that first Good Friday. We know, even on that Good Friday, what is to come. And tonight we're going to continue to uh, celebrate, I guess, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death, and is sat at the right hand of the Father. It's a history-defining moment. And over the Easter period, in some of my uh, readings that I do, I've discovered a few profound quotes, and uh, this first one really struck me. It's by a chap who uh, uh, battles with faith, or had battled with faith. And he says, The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. If it did take place, then Christ is God, and the Christian faith is absolute truth. Isn't that brilliant? Because we believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. And therefore, our faith is absolute truth. And Christ is God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is that turning point in history. We look back in uh, history, and I guess we have BC and AD, before Christ and after him. And for us, in our own Christian lives, I guess we've got before Christ times and in Christ times. But tonight we're going to just stop and think for a few moments about how the resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed history, changed our world and changed each and every one of our lives. I'm sure most of what I say tonight will not be new and you'll all go, Claire, save your voice. But actually it's really important to remember these things and I'm hoping at one point along the way you might feel that little excitement in your heart again to remember what Christ has done for you. We're going to start by looking at one of my favourite passages in the whole Bible. When I was uh, going through interviews for Bible college, uh, one of the professors said to me, what's your favourite passage? And I said, Romans 5. And he said, the same as me. I knew I was in at that point. I was sorted. But Romans 5 for me just is so exciting because it shows us very clearly that Christ rising from the dead means we can have a relationship with the Almighty God. 
Christ has risen. And we can now have a relationship with the Almighty God. I looked at this passage up in a number of translations. And this is what it says in the New Living Translation. I think it's really beautiful. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. What a wonderful verse. Because Christ has risen, we have a wonderful new relationship with God. We are God's friends. It sounds so basic. We hear it every Sunday. We obviously live it every day. We are friends of God. But stop for a moment. Can you remember that moment when you discovered you were God's friend? Over the last few months, I've worked more and more with some of the children. And uh, we've been out there on a Sunday morning. And I am amazed by some of their faiths. They can tell me that they want to be a friend of Jesus. They can tell me that they know the maker of heaven and earth, the king of the universe, the Lord of all, knows them, loves them and wants to be their friend. Some of these children are four and five years old, but it's changed their life to know that they're never alone, that they've got a friend. I was talking to one of them, who is seven, who will remain nameless, but he was about to uh, do something that was involving going in front of a lot of people. And I said, were you not nervous at having to do that in front of such a big crowd? And he said, no, of course not. Jesus was stood next to me. He looked at me like I was stupid. <laughs> You're the vicar. He knew that wonderful relationship. At seven years old, he got it sussed. As we grow up, we try to clutter that friendship with an awful lot of other things, some of which are good, others of which confuse us. But at the heart of the gospel is the fact that God wanted to restore our friendship with him. He loves us. He wants us to know him and be known by him. He wants to be in that relationship with us. Christ has risen. Therefore, you are God's friends. I remember uh, this time last year when we were doing 40 days of purpose, uh, me and Simon were trying to read a week ahead of you all to try and keep ahead of the game. We didn't quite get there. But I remember the week before uh, we were talking about being God's friends, reading this, and it really struck me. Maybe you just want to close your eyes or just uh, uh, try not to listen to the bees and just think about what these words say. You were planned for God's pleasure. The moment you were born into the world, God was there as an unseen witness. He was smiling at your birth. He wanted you alive. Your arrival gave him great pleasure. God did not need to create you, but he chose to create you. You exist for his benefit, his glory, his purpose and his delight. Bringing enjoyment to God, living for his pleasure, is an important purpose of your life. You are important to God, and he considers you valuable enough to keep you with him for all eternity. You are a child of God, 
and you bring pleasure to God. That's what the Bible says. Because of what Jesus has done, because he has risen, I can have that relationship with God. And what does that mean? Well, we live it every day, don't we? We we get to walk every day knowing that God is there. We get to spend time with him through prayer, through reading our Bible, through just resting in his presence. It means that we can know we're never alone and that our life is safe in his hands. We can know that we are created for him and for his pleasure. When times are tough, we can lean on him. When times are good, we can celebrate with him and rejoice for all that he has done. The message, uh, paraphrase, puts this nicely. It says, uh, I'll read all of it. Now that we are set right with God by means of this sacrificial death, the blood sacrifice, there is no question of being at odds with God in any way. It was when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son. Now that we're at our best, just think how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now that we've actually received this amazing friendship with God, we're no longer content to simply say it in a plodding prose. We sing and we shout our praises to God through Jesus, the Messiah. Love that last bit. Now we have an amazing relationship, friendship with God. We're no longer just to content with prodding prose in our worship. We will sing and we will shout our praises to God. Knowing we have a relationship with God changes our lives. Everything has changed. We're now aware of his constant presence. We now know we are loved even when we feel unlovable. We can live a life of praise and worship, for we are God's friends. That makes me excited. If you don't remember anything else about tonight, wake up tomorrow morning, say, I am a friend of God, and see how your day is different. Secondly, though, we're sticking with our risen theme Because Jesus has risen, we have a relationship with God, but we also have a rich inheritance in God. Hebrews uh, says this, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised internal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. It's quite a complicated little phrase. But it's saying because Christ has made everything new. Because his resurrection has changed how it will be forever. Because we are not just friends of God. But as the Bible calls us sons and daughters of the living God. We now have a rich inheritance. Again and again uh, throughout the letters, the last bit of the Bible, we're called sons of the living God. Galatians 3, we are sons and daughters of one true living God. We are part of his family. We are called his children. Or 1 John 3 verse 1, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. That is what we are. I had um, a great nana 
and when she died, I was two. And uh, I was told there was some money in the account um, that she had left me, and I could have it when I was 21. Well, that was quite exciting, especially as a kind of five-year-old. I thought that was really exciting. When I got to 21, I got given the book, and there was 99p in it. It was a slight anticlimax, having waited in 21, I guess. Uh, I don't know why they even opened the account. But anyway, it, you know, it brought me some penny sweets or something. The inheritance we have from Jesus rising from the dead is completely different to that. In fact, most of what I'm talking about tonight is inheritance. We are given new life. We have a relationship with God. It's the inheritance we have because we are now called sons and daughters of the living God. We have the inheritance of the Son. We have the inheritance of our life being safe in the Father's hand, the help of God in times of need. We also have freedom. Christ promises us that those who believe in him are free from sin. We might sin, but we can be forgiven and we are free. The inheritance we have means that our past does not need to hold us. The inheritance we have means we are sons and daughters of the living God. I'll pick lots of the inheritance words up as we carry on. So let's move on to think about our next thing, which is an S, saved by grace. It's that second passage that Jonathan read to us so well. Ephesians chapter 2. Because Jesus has risen, we are saved by grace. Let's look at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Can you remember a time when you did not know God. For some of us, praise God, we can't because we became Christians when we were children or even teenagers and we can't really remember what happened beforehand. Some of us, uh, it might be more recent or we may have only recently become Christians and therefore we can remember times without God. I guess there were certain things we did that didn't honour him in any way. But also, we just need to look at the world. I was on uh, BBC News as I was writing this sermon, having a look on the website. And I found lots of things that kind of were described by, by, I guess, what Paul was writing in Ephesians. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following the ways of the world. Things like uh, the suspected genocide in Darfur. I was reading about hundreds being killed in uh, Algeria. The unrest going on in Iran. Sinful natures, transgressions, sins, ways of the devil. I guess all of these words could have been used to describe some of the things that are going on in our world. I think uh, what was said this morning, if you weren't here, do you uh, listen to it? About how this world is a fallen place and we do have suffering in our world. uh, Reminds us of this world. But fortunately, as this passage goes on to say... It doesn't have to be like that because Christ 
has risen. The second half of the passage makes it clear of what has changed. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace you have been saved. There was a time when we were far from God, doing all the things our own way. But when we recognised what he'd done for us, our life is completely changed. Our sins can be forgiven. Satan no longer has authority in our lives. We've been saved from a life where we could not live for God, could not know him. We've been saved from death. Have you ever uh, attempted to do things to earn something from somebody else? I guess if you're a parent, you may give pocket money. If you tidy your bedroom, I'll give you 20p. That's what my mum used to say to me. If your wobbly tooth falls out, the tooth fairy will give you 20p. We, uh, I guess, live in a world where we try and earn things. But this passage here clearly says we did nothing to deserve what God has done for us. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourself. It's a gift from God. Not by works. No one can boast in it. Can you imagine getting to heaven and meeting lots of people there who have got there because they did great things. What a horrible place heaven would be. You'd be sat around talking with people and they'd be saying, well, I'm here because I fed 30,000 people who were starving. Well, I'm here because I gave 10 million pounds to a charity. It would be an awful place. It's not what it's about. Whilst we were still sinners, it says, whilst we were far away, God saved us by grace. Let's just stop for a moment, shall we? Maybe have a moment of silence. Maybe a moment of confession. Later we'll be coming to the communion table. We don't have to earn our salvation. God gives it to us freely. Let's maybe have a moment of saying sorry for some of the things we've tried to do. Or a moment where we just accept that we're forgiven, that we're loved, that we're saved by grace. For it's by grace you have been saved. It is a gift from God, not by works, so no one can boast. Thank you, Lord, that you have saved us. We didn't deserve it, but you loved us that much. You stepped down from heaven, died on a cross, rose victorious, and we can now live in your forgiveness and your salvation. Amen. On to the E. We have a relationship with God. We uh, live in his inheritance. We're saved by grace. We now have an eternity to look forward to with him. And Simon's preached on this quite a bit recently. And it's really exciting to think that our life is safe in his hands. But just before Easter, I found this picture. I hope it comes out all right. It's a fresco in a a church in Italy. And uh, it's called the Destroyer of Death. The white guy in the middle is Jesus, just in case you're in doubt. And here, very clearly, Jesus is in the centre. He's called the Destroyer of Death in the uh, words that are written underneath. He's not looking weak 
or vulnerable. Instead, he's striding in the picture, looking alive, energetic. Here, this picture shows us that Jesus rose from the dead. The artist goes on to show us very clearly what the resurrection means. That Jesus has risen from dead, surrounded by the stars, and is acting as he defeats death itself. At the bottom, apparently, is the picture of hell. And the two people to his left and right are Adam and Eve. He's pulling them out of their graves. Adam and Eve stand for the human race, for me, for you. He's standing there, offering us the promise of eternal life. And beneath him, the feet, uh, beneath his feet, there are gates of hell, which he's broken down and trampled on. As I was looking at this picture, uh, the words that we had read to us tonight in Romans 5 came to mind. It goes on after the passage we read to say this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everybody had sinned. Still, everyone died. And then it goes on to talk about how Jesus has defeated death. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this man, Jesus Christ. As the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of Adam's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us. But now, even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who will receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through Jesus Christ. Christ has beaten death. Death is beaten. We've sung that a lot in the last week. It's no longer our final day. We're living in the light of a new light in Christ. Our bodies will go, but we will not. Death is beaten. The other week we sang Amazing Grace. And we're going to do that again, just for a moment. We're going to sing the first verse and the last verse. The last verse, for me, is amazing. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Death is beaten because Christ has beaten it. And we will join with the millions in heaven for 10,000 upon 10,000 years singing his praise. Let's stand together and we're going to sing the first verse and the last verse of this hymn. Can you imagine it? I can't wait. Death is beaten. There's one more. And uh, I thought long and hard about an N. Didn't come naturally. I'm sure you can all come up with a lot more. But it simply stands for now. As we've just been reminded, we're living in the light of eternity. This life is only the beginning. 
All the things that are promised, though, are not just for the future. All these things that Christ has achieved for us by rising from the dead are for now. Today, as I start a day, I start this day as one who has a relationship with the living God. Today, I start this day as the son and daughter of God and his inheritance, all that I need, is for me. Today, I can be forgiven and live as one who has been saved by the grace of God. Today, my life is safe in his hands, as is all of my tomorrows. We need to live for him now. And through him and because of him, we can live now. Jesus said, uh, uh, I have come to give life in all its fullness. We sing that song, don't we? Now is the time to worship. Now is the time to give our lives. Now. We live in the light of eternity, knowing our, our life is safe in his hands forever. But now is the time to live for him. Now is the time to share him with others. Now is the time to show the difference that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has made in our lives. Now is the day that we should step out in faith, knowing he's there to catch us, knowing he's there. Now is the time to live a life of constant prayer. Now is the day that the Lord has made, and I will live for him. Now. We often think about what might happen in a month or two months or three years. I am a planner extreme planner. You would not want to be living with me because I get a bit obsessed with planning. I have to think about living for today, often. God's got plans for me today. God's got plans for you today. Now's the time to live for him. Let's just take a moment and think about the relationship we have, the inheritance he's given, that we're saved by grace. Maybe eternity's on your mind. Give thanks to God. Maybe we need to think about the now. Let's have a moment.